Let's talk about how to thrive as a retreat leader. In this episode, Lily and I are going to share three tips that we excavated from our personal experience and our work in creating the retreat roadmap to help you understand exactly what it takes to have a retreat business that feels nourishing, fulfilling, profitable, and sustainable. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. I want to start, Lily, with a little bit of your journey so that folks understand the blood, sweat, and tears that led to these insights. This is not something that we came up with out of thin air in 30 minutes as we were prepping for this podcast episode. This is the result of almost two decades of your lived experience. So I'd love to hear what you've experienced in the past and also what you've seen other folks experience. It can be an amazing experience or leading retreats can be really scary, overwhelming, stressful, but it doesn't have to be. So yeah, that's our goal today is to share the pieces that will help you as a retreat leader to thrive during your retreats, before your retreats, after your retreats, and to make leading retreats a really worthwhile part of your business. I have experienced and learned a lot over the past 16 years leading retreats. There can be a lack of clarity in communication that can cause stress. There can be a lack of planning around marketing and selling your retreat that can cause it to lose momentum and not progress as quickly to a full stress-free sold out retreat. There can also be a lack of a vision around what your retreat is organized around. And when you have these components really well put together from the very beginning, when you've put the forethought into the legal, the financial, the marketing, your own creative vision, things start to flow, things start to roll. And it can be really fun once you've put that work at the front to push the retreat out and see that it has an energy and a momentum of its own. And I think really what this is about is put the work in at the beginning and then they see so much more success whether it comes to how they want to write about it and share about it, how they're going to communicate clearly with their students so expectations are in alignment and fair for everyone so that there can be ease and fun and success filling and leading your retreat. One thing I've learned over the years of leading retreats is I started off building the plane as it was flying, like putting a deposit down and not having a solid vision for the retreat in place, putting the deposit down and starting to just be so excited and bursting at the seams that I wanted to share it with my students before I even really had organized a smart plan of how I was going to do so. And to be able to work with you, Mado, and look back at these experiences and build future retreats, retreats that I've now led with a more solid map that I'm following. So I'm not just 
creating it as I'm going has been so effective at getting people in the door in a quicker window of time and being able to communicate what the retreat is all about in a beautiful and creative and fun way through the sales page or the social media posts or the marketing emails. I think a lot of the time as yoga retreat leaders, we're moving quickly and not putting enough planning into the steps along the way. And just a little bit of planning around some of these key things that we're going to talk about today can make a huge difference, save you headaches, fill your retreat, and just make it a lot more enjoyable of an experience. But don't you think that a lot of the lack of planning comes from not knowing what to plan? Definitely. Yeah, you don't know it until you're in the middle of doing it. And that's why we created the retreat roadmap is to give people this peek behind the curtain, a peek into the future to be able to know what they need to plan in order to make things smooth for their clients and smooth for themselves. Yeah. I've been getting little questions from people just popping up in my inbox on social media since we've started sharing that little hints of this course. And a lot of them are like, I don't even know where to begin. Even the first step, like how do you find a retreat center? How far in advance do you do this? It's just like even having a timeline, knowing where to begin. But in this course, we give you like the complete timeline and all the steps along the way. And the things that even if you have been leading retreats before, strategies that I've implemented on my last two retreats that within three weeks of opening the doors filled a retreat with 22 and 28 people respectively. Right. And those are back to back. Those are one month and then another month. Yeah. Back to back. So let's start with the first insight, which Mm -hmm. is about setting and holding clear boundaries. Can you share your experience of what happened during COVID and how that really brought home to you that without clarity around your boundaries, they don't mean anything and they don't hold you and support you? Yeah. Before COVID happened, I had found a dream retreat center in Greece and completely filled the retreat within one month. I had collected payments in full by the end of 2019 for a retreat that was for June of 2020. I won't get into this too much here, but we talk about it in the retreat roadmap course. I collected all my payments before the end of the calendar year so that my taxes, when I did my end of year tax income reporting and my expenses would reconcile for the retreat. That's why I had collected everyone's money in December, even though retreat wasn't until June. But Then the borders shut down and I had the funds tied up because I had paid in full for 35 people. The retreat center was part of this International Hoteliers Association where they made a statement that they didn't have to refund any of the money that I had given them for my guests, only defer and offering a deferment was what they did. And so I had to I really had to hit pause and sit in a very uncomfortable place for myself as someone who likes to make my students happy, who doesn't like to be in uncomfortable positions like this and realize, oh crap, I can't give refunds. That money is gone. I have paid the retreat center and I'm probably going to have 35 people who want refunds. So I ended up deferring the retreat. I had a policy on the website that said, deposits and payments were non-refundable unless someone could find someone to fill their spot. 
but I had never paused to imagine that a pandemic might happen. So this really got me to think of all of the what ifs, right? Like I think often when we're leading a retreat, we just think of the best case scenarios. I really started thinking in the world of all the what ifs. And that's when one thing that came out of this as I revamped all of my business strategies and policies and procedures around leading yoga retreats, working with Mado, working with a lawyer to help me with a yoga retreat contract that was fair, not just for me, but also for my students. It's so important that you create a yoga retreat contract that helps your students have a clear understanding of what they're purchasing. So they're not like blindsided by something. And I think it's actually more fair to your students to write it all out. So people know what they're signing up for and paying for. A lot of these procedures came into place after working with Mado so that I felt much more deeply grounded and could operate my business in uncertain times like living through a pandemic and felt like I was putting something out there that was super clear and fair to the participants who were signing up. Making things really clear from your sales page so that your boundaries are crystal clear from the very beginning then you'll have a lot less headaches down the road. And so what changed with how you delivered that contract? after COVID, where you said before you had a bit little disclaimer on your website or on your sales page, and now then you put a lot of work into this. And now I believe you have your students actually sign it. Is that right? Yeah, it's like a real legal document that I have people I mentioned in my registration page, please give yourself time to read through this. And you'll be initialing that you've read through these policies and they're fair and reasonable and you agree to them now. And then like within one week after I get your purchase and your registration form, I'll be emailing you with a legal signature service so that you can sign the contract with your signature that holds up a little better than just checking a box or initialing something. Previously, what I had done was I had a combined listen to your body i'm not a doctor i can't diagnose and if you get injured it's at your own responsibility kind of like a hold harmless like a typical when you take a yoga class waiver and this was the other thing i would bring it this was like so bad now that i look back on it but i would bring it with me on the retreat so a people had already purchased the retreat like unknowingly purchased a retreat without signing. I mean, it was there on the registration page what they were agreeing to, but they hadn't signed anything or initialed anything. I would bring it to my opening circle and then I would always have this kind of like awkward moment where I'd be like, I just need to get this out of the way before we can start and hand out my half page that I needed people to sign. And it's like the opening circle. Like now that's just like, for me, laughable that I did that because at the opening circle, you know, beautiful music playing and a whole vibe set in the room. And we're like, we're starting by like holding space and dropping in and there's asana and pranayama and meditation and kind of a heart circle where we share a little bit about ourselves. And to think that I was like, here's a legal document. Can you sign this? And now we can get into the yoga. It just wasn't very smooth. So now people know what they're signing and they initial it at purchase. Then they get a doc hub, which is a legal signature service, and they sign it a week after purchase. And then all that is done and taken care of. And there's a shared understanding, clear communication that's fair to both parties and an agreement around what's being provided. And then you can step into the juiciness of the yoga retreat without having to worry about all that legal stuff. 
But I think this really goes to show you were doing your best. Yeah. And, you know, you're not going to start out perfect. We hope that those of you who take the retreat roadmap start out better than you would have started out without the retreat roadmap. But nobody's going to do it perfectly. And Lily, I do want to give you props for trying, for having mm. some waiver of liability. The way that you had it before where they just checked something on your website, they could not go back and refer to it. But by sending it to them and having them sign it, now if something comes up, they can say, oh, yeah, let me see what the policy is. So it protects you even from necessarily having to enforce a policy because they can go back to it and they can see for themselves what the situation is and either choose not to reach out to you at all, say, nope, this is for me to take care of, or reach out to you with a different context instead of, oh my God, here's a problem, solve it for me. Hmm. Okay, here's the situation. We can't force that they went back and looked at the contract, but at least they had the opportunity to go back and look at the contract and say, you know, based on the contract, what can we do here? The other thing I wanted to bring up when it comes to this whole concept of a contract is that some yoga teachers might feel afraid of putting their students off by being too legal, too businessy, mm -hmm. and not connected enough. Personally, when I work with somebody and I receive a very clear document, maybe a scope of practice, expectations, a contract, and I read through it, and I can tell that my needs have been accounted for in that contract, it builds so much trust for me in working with that person. Because first of all, I know that this person has experience. They're not flying by the seat of their pants, that they have developed this document based on experience and based on a lot of thoughtfulness. And that's the kind of people that I want in my life is people who are thoughtful, people who consider both sides mm -hmm. of the relationship. So yeah. I'm just so proud of you and so excited for any yoga teacher listening who feels inspired by this conversation to put more time and energy into their contract, into their agreement so that they're in writing and both parties can then refer back to them anytime in the future as needed. Mado, I think that's something we all want to strive for as yoga teachers. It's not just as business owners, it's that being connected and warm and being professional and boundaried are not mutually exclusive. They, in fact, can go hand in hand and make someone respect you even more. As a yoga teacher, we strive to be punctual. We strive to be consistent. We strive to have all of these professional, rigorous practices, not so that we can be like a robot and cold and impersonal, but we want to bring the warmth of who we are and the creativity of what we do and the passion behind what we do into what we're sharing. And of course, have both. It's not one or it's both and. And I think when it comes to a contract, the more clear and concise and straightforward and understandable you can make your terms and conditions, the better. I think often when people create legal contracts, if they're not accustomed to it, especially if you're like ripping language from another retreat services contract, you can end up with some really 
like legalese, stuffy, convoluted language that your students won't understand. So the more clear and down to earth and simple you can be like, here's what we're agreeing to and here's what feels fair in a contract, the better. Yeah, I totally agree, Lily. And I think this holds for boundaries all around that when you first get super clear on what your boundaries are and then the clearer you are on them, the clearer you'll be able to state them. Be clear on them, state them early, and then you can state them very softly and kindly. I think when we get into discomfort with setting boundaries is when we don't know what they are, and so we don't set them clearly. And then when there's confusion about where our boundaries are, we feel our boundaries have been violated, but the actual issue is that the other person didn't know what the boundaries were. Yeah. So it is, as a retreat leader, it is our responsibility to know what our boundaries are and to make that clear. Yeah, your retreat contract should basically outline the policies so clearly that if someone is pushing a boundary, for example, if someone is asking, can my boyfriend come with me on the retreat? He's not going to do any of the yoga and he's gluten free, so he's not going to eat any of the meals. So can you give us a discount for him? If someone asks this and you've clearly written in your yoga retreat contract, there's no reductions for people who don't do yoga or don't do excursions or it's not a like a la carte situation. It's a, you purchase it as a package, no matter how much of it you're doing or not, then you've established already that clear communication between you and the student. And either they didn't read it very carefully or they're like pushing at you. <laughs> in which case, Mado, you helped me through this a little bit with some boundary issues because they can be uncomfortable when you're in that position. Sometimes when someone pushes a boundary, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I loved the advice you gave me, which stuck with me both on a professional, but also a personal kind of psycho-emotional level, which was like this image of a game of ping pong. And you said, okay, they've put the ball in your court, but you can paddle it back to their side of the net. So I think that was like so helpful for me on so many levels from leading retreats where you're going to be handling all sorts of requests and emails that might push at your boundaries a little bit. But beyond leading retreats, just as a human being navigating your own boundaries, I love this image of a game of ping pong and you can serve the ball back by clarifying or by addressing some lack of communication that you didn't put out there that created this confusion where you felt your boundary was pressed at. Exactly. So what I recommend doing is first, the first step to this game of ping pong is acknowledging which of these situations is true here. Was I not clear? And in that case, I can own that and I can bring that into my response to them. Hey, I rec I realize I wasn't clear. Here's what my boundary is. Yeah. Or are they a boundary pusher? Is this sort of how they walk through the world, seeing where people's boundaries are porous? There are people like that, and those people do not like it when you set a clear boundary with them, and they pretty much won't engage. Like people who are boundary pushers, if you set clear boundaries with them, they disappear because they're attracted to situations with porous boundaries because that's where they get all of this like dopamine and energy from pushing the boundaries. So you need to understand first, before you can craft a response, which of these situations is the case, 
and then I'm going to own this, I'm going to clarify, or I'm actually just going to ping it right back to them because I've already set the boundary. I'm not going to bend over backwards to accommodate them. I'm just going to say, hey, here's the boundary again. Yeah. Very simple, neutral, easy, because it is what it is. Yeah. And then it's their game, their move. They can decide what to do with that information. I think I didn't have very clear boundaries. I wanted to be so generous. And going through COVID, I realized actually what I perceived as being generous was not generous because clarity is generous and not being more grounded in my business practices. It felt softer and more generous and more like a yoga teacher, a human instead of a robot with a contract. But really it was not generous. It was not a clear experience that these people were purchasing. And so it's like in a yoga pose. Sometimes you have these students who are just super noodly and flexible and they'll sink underneath the line of the posture. And it's like using a prop or teaching that person where their boundary is can be transformative to how they're activating and stabilizing and the energy is moving through their body. Same for me with putting together a really good contract. It was stabilizing. The energy between me and my students started to run. There was a currency that was running between us where things felt so clear and so good. And when these little hiccups came up along the way, I could really clearly point people to something in a contract that I had written. So that first piece of thriving as a retreat leader is about boundaries and clarifying what your boundaries are and getting practice, setting them clearly and gently. You won't be perfect at it. That's okay. Just just knowing that this is a large part of your role as retreat leader is going to be game-changing for your relationship with your students and your relationship to your retreat business. The second insight is about, Lily, you like to use the analogy of getting in a car, mm -hmm. getting in the driver's seat, and taking charge of your sales We've been getting a lot of questions about how do I get people to sign up for a retreat? And the overall feeling that I'm getting is there's a lot of confusion about what would it even look like to get into the driver's seat? What would it look like to take charge of sales? Because I think some people are like, yeah, I would totally do that if I knew how. So let's talk about how do we take charge of retreat sales instead of just being like, all right, I'm going to book the retreat center. I'm going to send the deposit and then I'm going to put out a few posts on social media. And why isn't anybody signing up? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like working with you, Mado, has helped me to have a greater capacity for fullness as the excitement is building around sharing this with my students. The past two retreats, I created a marketing plan that was a lot different. I decided that I was going to get crystal clear in my vision values, write the most creative, juicy, beautiful, compelling sales page I could imagine. So after I had paid the deposit and after I had figured out my price structure, typically in the past, I would have just blurted it out. I couldn't hold it in. I was so excited. It's so exciting. It's like you get a little rush when you sign a contract and put that deposit down and you want to share it with your people. But I really 
sat on my hands and like made some really beautiful materials so that when I shared it, it wasn't just like an IG story with a random statement and a typo and a, oh, it's coming soon. It was like, I've got this beautiful page I've created and you can peruse it on your own time. And I came up with Instagram teasers and all my marketing emails pre-drafted so that then when I was ready to share, it felt in the sharing there was ease. And now all of this is just going to flow right on out because all the heavy lifting and all the hard work has been done. And now I just get to stand back and bing, bing. And during that stage, so many messages are coming your way. And it's felt so great to have that legwork done ahead of time and be able to answer people's questions instead of be stressed and overwhelmed that I'm drafting the next email and I'm working on this and all the structures were in place. It just flowed right out. And I think people could see the energy, the vitality, the creativity, the visioning that went into planning these retreats in the materials that I shared. And that was a really compelling part of why I got people in the door pretty quickly. Inside the retreat roadmap, we share a four-step marketing strategy. The first step is to do this internal work of digging into your why, of why you feel inspired to lead a retreat, what's special about this location, and what values are you bringing so that you can find participants who align with those values. Then step two is you take that foundational work and you create a sales page. When I say a sales page, so this is the sign-up page, and I want to ask anyone listening who has run a retreat, what did the page look like that you sent people to? Especially if you've had trouble filling your retreats in the past, let's say you put a post out on social media or you sent an email, and maybe you can see that you did get a bunch of clicks on that page. My question is, what happened once they reached that page? Because the sales page is this gateway between interest and commitment. And so the sales page has to help your potential retreat participants feel comfortable and confident and excited. So there's a lot of information that needs to go on that sales page and the order of the information is important too. I think a lot of retreat leaders overlook the importance of the sales page and they just cobble together here's some pretty photos, here's the dates and the cost and the button to sign up. And as we share in great detail in the retreat roadmap, there's so much more to it than that. You want the sales page to be the one-stop shop where people who are interested in the retreat can go to get all their questions answered. Now, will you anticipate every single question? Probably not, but you're gonna try to answer every possible question that someone might have about your retreat on that page because then people will visit that page multiple times. If they're interested and you're sending out multiple emails and creating multiple social media posts, they're gonna go back and they're gonna read maybe a different portion each time. And with that repetition, they're gonna build trust. Then once you have that sales page built, you also have the one-stop shop for every bit of information about your retreat. Now you have all your ideas, your vision, your values, the technical details, the imagery. It's all collected in one place. And you can take that and repurpose it into emails and social media posts. So rather than this disjointed strategy where you're 
creating these social media posts and these emails in a vacuum. This is done strategically where you work through the sections of your sales page and chunk them out. And so you're basically repurposing work that you've already done into your email and social media. And then the final piece of this four-step strategy is to understand something about sales psychology and to use incentives. And basically incentives are motivation for people who are already interested to take that final step and make a commitment. Sometimes people use incentives in this sleazy way and so then they get a bad rap, but you do not have to do that. And in fact, I recommend that you only use incentive strategies that feel in alignment with your values. The most common incentive strategy is the early bird discount. People love a bargain. I love a bargain. It absolutely works on me. I watch my own behavior. There's something I want. I know I want it, but ah. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I want to wait a little bit to see what's going to happen. But there's a bargain. There's a deal. There's a discount and it's expiring. And so I know that when it comes to that deadline, I'm going to make a choice. Do I really want this or is this not for me at this time? And this is not coercion. I'm deciding. I'm in the driver's seat. I am making the decision. So there's other incentive strategies as well that we talk about in the retreat roadmap. But once you understand incentive strategies, then you can start layering them on top of each other. And you really boost the effectiveness of your incentive strategies when you layer them. Lily, will you share the double incentive strategy that you used for these last two retreats? Yeah, it worked so well. In our course, we create a signature approach to retreat early birds that is totally different than how any other yoga retreat that I've seen is doing early birds. And it's worked so well for my past two retreats. So that is one strategy, the early bird. For my retreats, it's you save $300 if you sign up by X date. And then the second incentive that I offered was a priority enrollment. So I had this like inner circle of folks that I shared the enrollment with first. So for them, it was like, you have an early bird that is good until this date, but you also get to pick your room first and there's limited rooms available. So you all are getting to pick first. This is like a smaller group of 200 people before I release it to my larger email list and social media and put it out on those channels to like a much wider list. With one of the retreats, I had to add rooms. Like I had reserved 13 rooms and they all filled within five days and I had to add rooms. By the time I opened the doors to general enrollment, I had added five more rooms. There was only three rooms left. So when I opened general enrollment, I said, general enrollment opens today and there's three rooms left. So those two layered strategies then created an urgency when I opened general enrollment as well, because at that point there was just hardly anything left. So it was like, oh my gosh, if I want a space, I've got to, I've got to grab it. The general enrollment just opened, but there's not this leisurely sense of I have four months until the early bird is over and there's 20 rooms that I can pick from. There was hardly anything left at that point. Yeah. And by the way, Lily has her fee structure set up so that she is getting as much as she wants to get from the early bird 
enrollment fee. And then anyone who pays full price, that's actually a bonus for her. So this four-step sales process puts you in the driver's seat and empowers you to take charge of your sales and not just feel like you are this passive recipient of the whims of your students. There are things you can do to influence when you get sales and how many sales you get. Yeah, I go back to that driving analogy because I feel like we were chuckling about it when I was getting excited about the driving analogy of, I feel like before it was driving this big old school bus and like stopping to refuel the gas and like things were breaking down and I was fixing them. (laughs) I had no plan. I was flying by the seat of my pants. I didn't know what to say when I sent an email out. I was just like, hey, it's me again. This place is beautiful. You all should come. Here's how much it costs and what I have. I just felt so clunky. And then after working with you, Mado, and realizing there's a million different things I could say when I send out an email. I could do an FAQ email. I could do a why purchase a retreat 12 months in advance email. I could do, there's so, I can offer you a split deposit. Sometimes having a big deposit is an obstacle. Here's a link for that. There's so many different reasons to communicate with people. And having all of the materials put together and really well thought out, it was like I had tuned the car and filled the tank. And then I was like getting in the car and it felt like this zippy little convertible. And I was just like, boom, hitting the road going. And it felt, oh my gosh, it was so much more fun to be sharing this with my people. I was just like that whole week when I opened Priority Enrollment, I was just like huge smiles because I kept getting emails like, you've sold another room, you've sold another room, and I couldn't. It's never been that successful before. It felt so great to have put in that work in the beginning and then just see the ease with the energy. And the beautiful thing about that is the more ease and energy it builds, it's, oh my gosh, now there's only three spots left, and then it builds and builds because of that. So yeah, it was really fun to to learn these strategies that I hadn't previously applied to my retreats. I love that. Thanks for expanding on the driver's seat analogy, because I can picture you driving this zippy little sports car, like on the coast of Italy or something. Oh my gosh. There's beautiful views. (laughs) Love it. Okay. So our third insight for thriving as a retreat leader is to embrace your analytical side so that it balances out your intuition. A lot of yoga teachers feel very connected to their intuition. And this is a big part of their identity is I'm an intuitive. I'm a highly sensitive person. I follow my intuition. And this is a beautiful thing. I support that 100%. I think following your intuition, listening to your gut, this is also key. And within the world I live in and the people I work with, yoga teachers, I see this imbalance where there's so much focus on intuition that we have lost the value of logic and data, or even more likely, we don't feel comfortable or capable with logic and data. And so we just put our head in the sand and ignore it because it's not our zone of genius. Facing the skill set that's not your zone of genius is your zone of potential. And this is an experience that I had because I had that same personality type. I had that same worldview that I'm a creative. I listen to my intuition. I listen to my emotions. 
I don't think of myself as being data-driven or analytical. Mm -hmm. And yet I had this series of experiences where I started to open my mind and become willing to get uncomfortable being more of a beginner, looking at numbers, looking at data. Part of the reason I've become so passionate about this is that intuition on its own can trick you. It is almost impossible to know when you feel fear, if that's intuition or if it's anxiety. When you feel hope, is it intuition or is it wishful thinking? How can you tell? You need data. You need information to measure against. Part of that as a retreat leader is to devote some time and attention to choosing your price. Don't pull your price out of thin air because you don't know everything that goes into a price. If you don't know what goes into a price, join us for the retreat roadmap because we will walk you through it. And we even have a spreadsheet that you can plug everything into and map out all of your expenses, map out what you want to make and decide what your minimum number of people is going to be. And then make sure that at that minimum number of people, you're making what you want to make. If you just get a base number of this is what a double and a single costs from the retreat center and then say, okay, I'm going to charge this because that's all I feel comfortable charging. That is an anxiety-based decision. However, with our spreadsheet, which we share in the course, you'll be folding in your expenses separate from what you want to earn. So say you have a minimum, you want to hit 10 people, that's the minimum, right? You'll be folding in the cost of insurance, flight for you, your room and board, your excursions, everything that you would be paying for on the retreat, you fold that in, you divide it by the minimum and you add that to the rate. So then when you look at that number, you're adding that to what the retreat center gives you. That's where you can use your intuition. You've used logic and data with our spreadsheet to do the math. Then the intuition comes to this. When the numbers are spat out at the end of our spreadsheet formulas that we've created for you in this course, you look at that price for a double room and is $5,000 for a double room with a shared bed reasonable? In my yoga community, no, I don't wanna charge that much. In fact, I charge about $500 to $1,000 less than what most people in my region are charging for yoga retreats. And I do that because I work for myself. I'm not working for a concierge service or partnering with someone where they need to take a cut out of what I'm charging my students. I like to have prices that feel super reasonable for me and for my students for the amazing retreat experience that they're getting. So that's when I use my intuition is when the number is spat out at the end of the Excel and I see 5,000, this is not the right retreat center to work with. But if I got a number like 2,800, 2,500 for a double occupancy room, that's something I can work with. That feels exciting. That feels like a good deal for my students. And I'm making what I need to make not on a wing and a prayer, but based on a number that I've determined is a minimum I can reliably get given my experience as a yoga teacher and given the community that I have. And I've folded in my expenses, so I'm not gonna be like, surprise, you're paying for your own flight to lead this retreat. And I'm gonna be making on top of that per person what I wanna be making. Now, if I make over my minimum, everything on top of that is a bonus check that you're writing to yourself. Exactly. So to recap, the three insights to thrive as a retreat leader are one, set and hold clear boundaries. Two, get into the driver's seat and take charge of sales. 
And three, embrace your analytical side to balance your intuition. Lily, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to add about any of these three insights? Just that it can be a learning curve. There might be a feeling of running uphill. Like you might feel that weight and that pushing into the unknown, building a new skill set, which we all know from the physical practice of yoga is typically something we don't shy away from, right? Like we know that those moments of challenge are where we're getting stronger or more capable or more agile. And the same running a retreat business. The first sales page I made, I put five months into working on it. And I spent forever placing the photos. And I spent a lot of time on the vision and values module that Mado and I talk you through in this course. Then once I had those systems up and running, it, it moved so much smoother than next time through. So there's going to be this like learning curve. It's worth it. And it's going to make everything downstream so much easier. This course is not like you buy a retreat kit in a box and we do it all for you. I think that's the beautiful thing about it. We are giving you worksheets and templates to put your own individuality and area of expertise and self into what you're offering. It's not going to feel cookie cutter, but we're going to give you steps along the way to ensure that you don't have the headaches that I've had to face leading yoga retreats, that you feel really grounded and clear in how and what you're sharing with your students. Exactly. Cookie cutter approaches do not work, at least not over the long term. If you understand the principles behind what you're doing, then as the market shifts, as things happen, then you can adapt your business. And just like Lily did, you can pivot, you can rebound, and you can have a sustainable business over the long run. And we want that for you. A big part of the reason that we created this course is that we looked around and we saw that there are a lot of corporations, a lot of big businesses making a ton of money on wellness retreats, wellness travel. This is an industry and a sector that is seeing incredible growth right now in 2023. But so little of that is going to the teachers. And that is such a shame because the teachers are the ones who are bringing the actual value to this experience. People can go travel to all of these places on their own if they want. The teachers are the core that is gathering the community and holding space and providing the practices that people are using to create transformation for themselves. Yet when you partner, for example, with a concierge service, they take probably 80 to 90% of the profits. And that just feels incredibly unfair. And it feels like it's not in the best interest of the students either, because it's not sustainable for the teachers. They are going to burn out. They're not going to lead as many retreats. They're not going to be able to bring as much of themselves to the retreat. So because we feel like we've cracked the code here of how to do this in a way that's sustainable, we really want to share that. 
And so we have been working on this course for nine months. <laughs> Lily pointed this out yesterday that it's been like a gestation. Definitely. And we're so proud of it. And we're so excited. If you feel inspired to lead yoga retreats and to make that a core part of your business, we're so excited for you to understand how to do that in a way that's really fulfilling and sustainable. If it's your first retreat, don't worry, we've got you covered. Like we talk about different ways you can lead a retreat. Maybe it's a staycation, maybe it's a camping retreat, maybe it's a local one day, three day weekend. It's not all like we're all going to Greece on a week long international excursion. We've described different ways of approaching this, but we hope that we can give you these structures to feel really confident knowing the map ahead of you. So I hope that people can start to increase with their earnings so they can put two deposits down the following year so their business can grow. Exactly. We did have both the new retreat leader in mind and also advanced retreat leader. So we have some bonus content in there that's anybody can watch, but it's more geared towards the retreat leaders who are ready to take the retreat side of their business to the next level and get really professional. So I was thinking about like maybe pulling up the retreat roadmap and just going through the outline real quick so that you know what's inside. The first module is big picture planning, and it includes this exploration of why you're leading the retreat and your values that you're going to bring to it so that you can weave that into all of your marketing. We're going to talk about how to choose your retreat type, how to choose your location, pricing, and then we start to move into module two, which is admin and legal. And this is where we really help you dot your I's and cross your T's with your contract, terms and conditions, insurance, emergency procedures, communication with guests and retreat center, tax planning, and we also talk about whether you might want to collaborate with another yoga teacher and what that might look like, how that might change things. Module three is marketing and sales. We walk you through creating a marketing plan, a sales page, email marketing, social media marketing. And then we have a bunch of bonuses, some tips, advanced sales page tips, a bonus on marketing mindset and how to do market research. Module four is curriculum and schedule, how to create your schedule, how to work in optional amenities, retreat themes, class plans, opening circles and setting expectations, closing circles and integration support. And there's a bonus on hiring an assistant or a backup teacher. And then module five is self-care and boundaries. We talk about self-care pre-retreat, during the retreat, and then we have a more in-depth discussion on boundaries and scope of practice. And that is the big overview of the content inside the retreat roadmap, but almost every lesson has an attached worksheet or template or checklist so that you, you have a start on them. You're going to want to edit and modify them to reflect your specific situation, but you don't have to create everything from scratch. Lily and I have been working on this for nine months, and we are so excited that it is ready to be birthed. We're so proud of it, and we know that it is going to be so useful to any yoga teacher who's considering leading a retreat or has an existing retreat business that they feel could be more sustainable, more nourishing, more profitable. 
yeah, we've put so much love into building this course. We're all about empowering you as a yoga teacher to take charge of your own business and create an amazing container for your students. I love leading retreats. It's a significant portion of how I earn my living, but it's not just that. It's also such a magical part of my job. I love being able to build a deeper container with my students. I love being able to travel and see beautiful places and be inspired by different cultures. I love having a consistent group of practitioners. Like what joy in having the same 20 to 30 people practicing twice a day with you for an entire week, potentially. There's so much that is possible in that structure that's just not possible teaching a drop-in class. And Lily, I just want to say that it's been such a joy to create this with you. I feel like you and I have such great synergy. We have very different skill sets, very different personalities, but when we get together, so much creativity happens. So thank you for going on this ride with me. Oh, thanks, Madele. I feel the same way. Whenever I turn on the Zoom meeting with you, I always have a big bubbly smile. <laughs> and there's so much to talk about. I just, it's been wonderful making this with you. I'm excited to share it with others now.